Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's good to have you guys with us today. I just want to give a shout out to our teams who got together and made all this look like Christmas. I was like, look, I was like, I want it to feel like Buddy the Elf visited Thrive Church, right? That's what I told them. And so they did it. Um, and just a great, I, I love it. Again, Christmas is a special time uh, to celebrate Christ's birth, but just, it's just a, a good time of the year also, too, for memories and things of that nature. Well, uh, next week we do kick off a brand new series called All I Want for Christmas, but today we're finishing our series called The Key to Everything. And if you've been at Thrive uh, long, you know that every November we take time to talk about generosity um, and as that followers of Christ were called to be generous. And today I want to talk to you about something very important to my heart, which is legacy. And if you will, turn in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. That's an Old Testament book, Haggai, which nobody names their child that, right? Uh, they all love Matthew, Mark, Luke, Sarah, all that, Rebecca. They do not like Haggai. Um, but you can turn there, chapter 1. My wife and I visited Key West several years ago. And one of the things we like to do, we can never pass up a good graveyard to go walk around. I know that sounds weird, but we just love it. Like, we love going to Hollywood Cemetery um, every year and just walking through it. It's beautiful here in Richmond. But in Key West, we went to a, um, a cemetery there, and one of the tombstones actually said this. You, you look at it, I love inscriptions on tombstones. It says, I told you guys I was really sick. And I remember snapping a picture of that as it was like, wow, like that's, that's the memory that they'll all have when they go visit that tombstone. Well, a tombstone reveals something about us, especially that one little saying. The saying pretty much abbreviates your dash in the middle of, you know, from your birth to your death. Usually we get to write on our tombstones what we want others to see about us. But we have to understand, too, that there's a life that we live that once we're gone, no matter what our tombstone says, there's things that others will say about us. And usually it's 10 minutes after our funeral when they're eating uh, potato salad and green beans, you know, in, in the fellow, church fellowship hall. They're saying things about you. And it's always snippets. It's always thoughts. And I want you to know this, that your view of that can help you one day when you go to see Jesus change what others say about you. It can change what you can write on your tombstone. And I want to talk to you about how generosity is attached to legacy and the mindset that we have to have. Because at the end of the day, every single one of us want our lives to count for something, right? We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to make a difference. Well, what we're going to look at today is the children of Israel. And what we're going to read about them in Haggai is what is pretty much written on their tombstone for that generation. We don't have their physical tombstones here, but we have Scripture that's been preserved, and you could actually see what was said about them in their life. Now, the backdrop of Haggai is important. Realize that they had been uh, you know, slaves in Egypt. They'd been released, and they grew, and Israel multiplied greatly, and it was beautiful. Um, but then, because of disobedience and wickedness, they go into exile with Babylon, and the northern kingdom goes in exile to Assyria. It was a very dark time in the life of Israel where, again, they were in this dark moment. They were like, where are you at, God? Where are your promises at? Why are we in this situation? And God promises the children of Israel over and over again that one day I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. The temple will be re rebuilt again, which was destroyed and that the walls will be re rebuilt again, and you will be a nation once more. And they held on to those promises. 
And so Haggai is kind of the guy who is writing after they start coming back. You have Ezra and Zerubbabel. They, they come and they start you know, build, rebuilding some of the temple there. They come to kind of start that. And then you have Nehemiah. Remember Nehemiah? He comes and rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem to keep out all the enemies. But what we don't realize is something happened after they rebuilt the wall. And what you're going to see in Haggai is, is that God is upset with the children of Israel. He is ticked off at them. And I want you to look what he writes, and we'll begin to understand that as you read it. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Now, the Lord of hosts and other ones, but the Lord of heaven's armies is the literal translation of that. This, when God refers to himself as the Lord of heaven's armies, that's like general God, sergeant God. It's not like granddaddy, nice, loving father God. It means he's trying to get a point across to them. He says, the people are saying, the children of Israel, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So the Jewish temple was where they worshiped at. That was the center point of worship. Remember, there were no Christians back then. That was before Christianity. The only time you could worship was in the Jewish temple, right? With the priest leading you and all the, the things they did. But the people were saying to each other, well, it's not quite time to rebuild the house of the Lord yet. We're going to let the temple stay in ruins at this point. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet, prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what is happening to you. So he's like, Paul's just, just take an inventory. You're living in really great houses. You're saying it's not time to rebuild my house. And then he's going to show them what their life looks like. He says, you have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You're just discontent. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Some days it feels like that, right? Amen? And then look, he says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look what is happening to you. And then he gives them the antidote to this. They're focused on their luxurious homes. They've forgotten the temple. Their lives are reflective of that. And then he says this, now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then, then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? And this is so important here. Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. The Lord says, I have called for a drought on your fields and your hills and a drought to wither the grain and grapes and the olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you work so hard to get. That is strong, isn't it? God was trying to get their attention because their perspective and focus was so far off kilter. They were focused on themselves and their homes and their stuff. And the Lord knows this. He knows what brings us joy. That's what God outlines things in Scripture. Like he gives us instructions in the New Testament. It's not, listen, God's, uh, you know, like, like when he withholds you for something, something is not to make you unhappy. 
Because he knows what ultimate joy and happiness is. And he knew that the more they focused on themselves and their own houses and they didn't go worship, because they couldn't worship without a temple, they would never be full. He says, look at you. You're not content. You're discontented. You're never happy. Look at your internal life. He says, and then now look at your external life. The reason that you're going through what you're going through is I want to get your attention to bring your perspective back into focus because you're focused on your house when I've called you to be focused on my house. Now, now today for us, we're not the children of Israel. Uh, Thankfully, we're not relegated to just worship in a church. I'm, I'm grateful for church online and church services, but we can worship at home. Like, thank the Lord for that because of Jesus. So we're not in that same predicament. God's not like, God's not like, not cursing your crops if you have any. <laughs> if you do and you're that dependent upon them, man, that's pretty cool. But here's the bridge and here's what it does look like for us. We are children of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're his child. He has called you and he has chosen you to follow him. And he's chosen you to represent his kingdom. He's called you as a follower of him to build his kingdom. And we have a saying at Thrive, and so I want you to write this down because I'm going to give you one of our sayings, internal sayings here about this, is that we often choose our castles over God's kingdom. And that's what they were doing. They chose their personal castle over God's kingdom. God had a desire. He had something he wanted to do. He wanted the temple rebuilt. He wanted people worshiping. He wanted to fellowship with the Israelites. But what they wanted was their own personal agendas and castles being built while ignoring God's the whole time. And so many times we do this, and not just when it comes to like the local church and just finances and things like that and giving, but it comes to, you know, it comes to our preferences. Well, this is what I want. This is, this is how I want it. Instead of what's best for God's kingdom over what's best for my personal castle and my desires. And we often do that. Guys, I do that. And some of the main reasons as a pastor I've seen over the years, and I've talked to people personally, about why do you choose your castle over God's kingdom instead of vice versa? Why do you do that? The first thing we always hear is fear. Some people have never, like, like have never put God's kingdom first financially in their life. Like, they get mad if you, and, and I'm sorry if you do it thrive, but like, you know, the, fir- the first 10% of everything, actually, it's more than that, my, for me, of what I get goes straight to God, right? Like, you know, but it's scary. If you've never done that, and we had more people sign up for God's guarantee this year than ever before, and I was so thankful for that because people are taking that step. It's scary to think about, how do I make it? Because you have whispering in your ear, you're going to have fear or you're going to have faith, right? And what does fear say? Be careful. If you do that, you know you're never going to be able to afford this. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I know what the pastors preach. I know what the Bible says. And you have that enemy in your ear whispering, God will not come through for you. You cannot trust God financially. Don't you do it. And I know I hear that, guys. When God asks me to up my giving every year, to give things away extravagantly, I always come back to, yeah, God, but look what I could do with that all the time. And it's fear. And see, the, the biggest lie you'll be told is your heavenly father is not a good provider. That's the biggest lie that you're going to believe when it comes to choosing castles over kingdom. And can I tell you something? God will provide. Matter of fact, let me say this. Oh, no, 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 no don't even clap. That, no, no, you, that, that's the wrong clap time. It's coming in a second. You, you got to learn to time it just right, right? There's, just a, there's a timing to it. 
In Philippians 4.19, we celebrate a verse that says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. But that's a conditional statement. The church at Philippi gave to Paul's missionary journeys, and they gave extravagantly. And he says in verses 17 and 18, because of your great gift, because of your sacrifice, because you gave to the kingdom, he says, now you can trust that God will supply all of your needs, all of your, not your want, your needs according to his riches and glory. You know what Paul was saying to the church at Philippi? If you'll take care of my kingdom, I'll take care of your castle. And that's true for us, and you've got to trust God with that. Don't let fear creep in to keep you from doing that. The second thing that happens is this, is selfishness. Let's just be honest. I would rather spend my money on things that I want. I mean, right, can we just be honest? It's, like, don't, it's not condemning. Like, it's, I mean, we're all that way. I'm that way. And usually selfishness creeps in. But in the kingdom of God, when you follow Jesus, he calls us to selflessness. Take up your cross daily. And many of us uh, that follow Jesus have never learned the selfless life. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he called his disciples, there was a model. There was a certain progression. The first progression was come and see. Remember Philip and Andrew, and like, hey, come and see the Messiah that I've met. Come and see this guy, this rabbi. And so they come and they see. The woman at the well, whenever Jesus told her about everything she was doing, all the guys she was sleeping with, he didn't condemn her. He just said, hey, look, this is where you're at. This is why your life's in these shambles. She gets so impressed, she runs back to the city of Samaria and says, come and see a man that's told me everything I've ever done. There's this come and see approach. And for many of us, that's where we're at. You, you come and you sit and you see and you kind of just spectate. It's fine. And listen, this church is safe. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, you can come hang out and just kind of learn and just kind of get, kick the tires. But we're a safe place for that. It's come and see. But many people who claim to follow Jesus are just come and see disciples. Because what, when they came and saw, Jesus called them to a next level. He said, come and follow me. There's a come and follow progression where then you begin to walk with Jesus. You begin to open the scriptures up. You begin to pray. You begin to interact with other believers and get sharpened and get corrected and get encouraged. And you begin to grow as you come and follow. And a lot of believers are there, and that's good. But here is the essence of Christianity that I don't hear many preachers ever preaching, especially in America in this day and time. This, this will never be a top-selling book. Come and die. Live your best life ever and come and die for Jesus. You won't see that preached on TV because Jesus invited them ultimately after the following to come and die. He told Peter exactly how he would die. And all of those disciples ended up being martyred for their faith because Christianity is one where you come and you sacrifice your life for the kingdom and for Jesus. You give up your way. You give up your preferences. You give up everything you want for what Jesus wants. And one of the reasons we choose castles over kingdom is selfishness. We've never learned to come and die to ourselves daily. We've never learned that progression. And then one other one is this, and this is a made-up word, so don't look it up in the dictionary. It's called churchianity. <laughs> it's a mix between church and Christianity. And one of the reasons that so many of us in America especially choose castles over kingdoms is because of churchianity. I want to explain this to you. Churchianity is where you were raised in church and you ascribe to Christianity because that's what your family did. 
It's kind of like in America, right? Like, like in America, it's apple pie, American flag, guns, mama, and Jesus. Right? I mean, it's like, it's like hey, okay, oh, that's, that's Christianity. Christianity. Oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian because I was raised, and grandma was, well, grandpa was a preacher, and daddy was a preacher, and all that. I, I, I went to church. And just like in the Middle East, Islam is, is their cultural religion. That's what Christianity is in America. Do you understand you cannot be raised as a Christian? I'm going to just mess you up on Thanksgiving weekend. You cannot be, ra- you can be raised in a Christian home that has Christian values, Judeo-Christian values, but you cannot be raised a Christian. Do you understand that a nation cannot be a Christian nation? The guy's got so quiet there. Other religions can govern people with their religion because it's all rules and prescriptions to uh, ascribe to. You can't do that with Christianity. To be a follower of Jesus, you have to be transformed personally by the gospel. You have to come to a point personally in your life where you surrender your life to Christ and the gospel meets you and you are, and I know you don't like this word, but you are born anew, born again by the Spirit. You have to come and say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I believe he died. He rose again. And not only for the, for the world, because some of you just believe that, but he did it for me, and now he is my Lord. I will do what he says. I'll go where he goes. I'll give what I need to give. I'll, I'll, I'll work how I need to, whatever I need to do. He is now my Lord and my boss. And that is not what most of America lives by. Statistics show us that over 60% believe that they are Christians. That is not what we see in our world, do we? Because being a Christian isn't being a good person. It's being a transformed person by the gospel of Jesus. And so many people are not generous. Many people choose their castle over their kingdom because church is a place you go. Christianity is the thing that I believe in because mama and daddy did. It's what you should do because I, I just believe that's the right way. But they've never been transformed. You cannot be raised a Christian. You have, you have to. And our students who are here, the, the thing I want for them is to at some point in time, you kind of, mom and daddy's faith training wheels for you. But at some point in time, you've got to break the training wheels off, and it's got to be your faith. You've got to own your own faith. You've got to get to a point it's not their faith anymore. Now it's your faith, and you have personally come to a point to know Jesus. See, we can't be a Christian nation because you can't govern people with Christianity. Other religions cannot understand love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is what blows their mind. We'll talk about this next month, um, actually in the beginning of the year. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. Other religions can't do that because they they've never experienced the love of Jesus. They've never been transformed by the gospel, right? We don't have pray at these times of the day. We don't have during Ramadan, sun up to sun down, do this. You don't have any of that in Christianity. It can't be legislated and governed. Now, you have Judeo-Christian ethics that we can certainly, hopefully, inject into our society to help to, uh, you know, fight moral decay in some uh, uh, places, right? But you cannot legislate Christianity, you cannot nationalize it because it's a personal transformation that has to happen in the human heart. And the reason so many people get upset with this idea of generosity and sacrifice is because they've never met Jesus. If you've met Jesus, it's like, that's, that's like, yeah, okay, well, I'll die for him. You're asking me to like, just, I mean, really? 10% all that they're asking me? I mean, I'll give my life for this thing because of what happened. But so many people, because of churchianity, 
reject this sacrificial living for Jesus. Matter of fact, write this down because this, this is the key here. Your generosity is directly linked to, or excuse me, your generosity to God's kingdom is directly linked to how much the gospel has transformed you. Directly linked to it. The gospel is all about transformation. Guys, uh, for me, can I tell you, like, when I tell you that I should not be here today, I should not have the life that I have, I shouldn't have the beautiful wife that I have, and, man, my family, I shouldn't have any of you. Um, some of you are like, amen, me too, brother, that's right. No, you don't understand that I literally had no hope. No, I wasn't from an impoverished family. I was an absolute nightmare of a human being who stole from people, who cussed out and threatened to kill teachers if I didn't get grades, who would give bad drug deals and sell people catnip in order to make a lot of money. I was just a terrible human being. I cared for nobody else but myself. And I was voted in a joking manner, but it was true, most likely to die by 26, to be dead. I had no hope for a job because I had no discipline, no commitment. I had nothing and when I tell you that Jesus came down and rescued me, he rescued me like I had no hope. And so for me, when I talk about generosity, some, I have preacher friends who are scared to preach. I'm like, dude, I was completely, I had, I had nothing. I'll give everything for him, like any and everything that he wants because I had no future, I had no hope. But the gospel transformed me. And my fear is in America, American Christianity and even in our church online here, both campuses, is that so many of us maybe have never really met Jesus because our hearts aren't grasped by his love of what he had done for us. And your level of sacrifice for the kingdom will be directly proportionate to what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus taught this. You know, he, he comes into this, this, this people's home for a celebration, for a gathering, the disciples are there, religious leaders are there, and he walks in. And one of the customary things that you did for the guest of honor was you wiped their feet down from the camel dung and dust and dirt that came in. He comes into this thing, and literally nobody does anything for him. And it says that there was a woman who took this alabaster, this perfume bottle, and broke it. A year's worth of wages. I mean, think about that, whatever your income is. A whole year worth of wages. some expensive perfume. You know, my wife is never getting that. I'm just, just FYI, never. And she breaks it and starts wiping down his feet. And the disciples become indignant. Well, that money could have been used for the poor. Why is she doing that? She wasted that. You know, be careful with people who always have, uh, you know, a say-so in what they believe every, all, all the money should be going to. Because Jesus looks at Judas and says, no, 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 you got it all wrong, bro. She sacrificed for me for the gospel. She has anointed my body for burial, and she wipes his feet with her hair. And he looks at all them who are all sitting around indignant and pointing fingers and all this, and he says this. He says that she has been forgiven much, and this is why she is doing this. For those who have been forgiven much, they're, gonna, they're going to worship that way. And those who have been forgiven little, you can tell it in their life too. And that's when it comes to this idea of sacrifice and generosity and giving your life over for the kingdom. It all comes down to have you been transformed by the gospel. And when you have, man, it changes your life. Where you're like, you know what? I want to give it away. 
Listen, I told you that for me, everything that I have, God's given me. Like, I, I shouldn't be here today. I shouldn't have anything that I have. Even this church. Like, we have a dream team rally at 9.15 every Sunday morning right here for all those who serve. And I get a chance to pour into them. We get a chance to hang out for a few minutes. And every week, there are more people that dream team rally to serve. And there were at this church when I first got here nine years ago. I am extremely grateful. So why is it that Thrive Church wants to be generous to every other church that we can? Why is it when somebody who's planting a brand new church who comes to Richmond, we're like, hey, you need some money? You need some help? You need some support? And we're like, really? Yeah. Because Jesus has changed my life. He's been so gracious to me. I just want to be generous to you as well. And that's what it does to us and for us. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Here's the next step I want you guys to take. Invest in the kingdom of God by funding gospel opportunities. Invest in the kingdom of God by funding gospel opportunities, by things that promote the gospel. Listen, I'm, I know that Pookie needs a, a, his flat tire pit fixed. Every week, Pookie's got something else coming up, right? He's got all the brand new downloads on, on his iPad for music, but he can't keep his tire, you know, right? You have people in your life like that, don't you? I know that so-and-so is always going through something again. And that's, that's cool. That's, that's sometimes people need that. But I'm going to kind of tell you, the focus for a believer has got to be, where can, I, where can I invest where the gospel goes forth? Where can I invest where the gospel goes forth? And that's one reason you'll tell a believer from a, really if somebody who's faking it as a believer, because some people want church just for how they love it and want it, not is the gospel going forth. It shouldn't be, I like the music and the preaching, but is the gospel changing lives, and are they about the mission of God? Amen? And that's what we have to be. And here's what Jesus said to his disciples. These were his, his, last, like, his last teaching. This is 40 days he had been teaching them, spending time with them after his resurrection. And look what he says to his disciples. They're gathered around. This is it right before he ascends to heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And look at the progression that he gives. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And they were, right? And they stayed in Jerusalem a little too long. They didn't want the Gentiles to get the gospel. They went to Judea because there's still you know, Jews there. But then Jesus allowed persecution to come in the early church, and then they went to Samaria and the ends of the earth. There was a four-level part, part of progression there that he wanted them to understand how this thing would happen, for the gospel to go forth, for them to be witnesses. And for us, guys, and for you and for us as a church, the same thing is true for us. So how do we do it? The first one is this. Fund the local church for the local community. Now, if you're new here to Thrive, we don't want your money. You can give to another local church. I say it all the time, but there's new people here watching online here today. Give to another local church. I just want the local church to be funded for the local community. To me, it, it does not matter. God will provide here. I'm okay. But as a believer, our Jerusalem is Richmond in Virginia, right? That's like our local area. Our Judea is America, right? That's our, our surrounding part where it's kind of, you know, there's people uh, speak our same language, the same customs, all of that. Samaria is people that are different. We'll get there. And then you have the ends of the earth. But first of all is our Jerusalem. Fund the local church for the local community. The reason I'm passionate about this 
is because I gave my life to Christ in a local church and I was discipled in a local church. You can lead someone, you know, to salvation on the sidewalk, on the street. It doesn't guarantee that they're, they're going to continue to follow Jesus. It's when somebody gets saved in a local church, people connect with them, they get them involved in groups, in teams, and they come alongside of them. And that's what happened to me. Why am I passionate about our student ministry? I talk about them all the time because I got saved at a student worship service, not an adult worship service. And that's what changed my life. And so we should fund the local church for the local community. The second thing as a believer and as a church we have to do is this. Give to the global church through global missionary efforts. Give to the global church. We call it global. Global and local, right? The the global church, but the global church with missionary efforts. That's your Samaria. That's people that are different than you. People who don't have the same customs. For the Jews, the Samaritans were different than they were. They, they didn't really go on that side of town. Like that was the, the, you know, there's a big racial divide between Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus intentionally involved Samaria in that to show them that you're going to reach people who aren't like you as well. The best people to reach people in Africa are not the people that we send as missionaries. We have people in missionaries over there that are, you know, white-skinned. But you know what they do? They train the people of that area to reach the people of that area. That's what they do. Are you funding missionaries? We have missionaries that thrive that we fund that are fueling and sharing the gospel globally. Isn't that amazing? And we have to be a part of that as well. Let me ask you as a believer, are you a part of that? Well, when you give to thrive, guess what happens? You get to share in us doing that. I wish I, um, you know, I had time to share. Jamie Dunning just sent a big update from Kenya. Man, they are doing so much over there. And he sent it to Keith and myself and a few more. And man, he wanted to celebrate and say thank you at Thrive Church because you are funding him sharing the gospel and people coming to know Christ in Kenya. Do you know that people in Kenya are going to shake your hand one day and say thank you for what you're doing at Thrive Church because you helped me come to know Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Amen. And here's the the final point this morning. When it comes to generosity, when it comes to being generous for the kingdom, turn your misery into ministry investments. What, What makes you weep and pound the table? What is it that gets your attention? What is it that that really brings you to emotion, that moves you to action? Turn that misery into a ministry investment. I I believe in giving to the local church. I believe in missionary efforts. But here's what I also believe. I believe the Holy Spirit has passions that he's given you. You know, Doubting Thomas, we call him, he ended up going to India, is what tradition and history tell us, to share the gospel to India. He was the first one to ever bring it to India. God birthed a passion in him for those people. And he went there and did that. Not every apostle did that, but he did that. Where is it for you? Some of you, it's uh, the fixed ministry that we we support, which drug and alcohol addiction, that you you want to be able to to, to bless them. For some of you, it's feeding people food. I don't know what it is, but, but some of us have never tapped into our passion. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's unwed mothers that, that are, man, that, that are having a child and they're scared. To, I don't know what it is. But for you, turn your misery into ministry and turn it to a ministry investment. For my wife, and I share this all the time, her misery is children with cancer. And we have some friends who their child died 
of cancer and looking at the pictures and they've now they started a big campaign and they do so much on behalf of this child to watch those pictures of that young child with no hair lying there in his mother's arms dying and they had pictures of it and they shared because they they've turned their ministry uh in, in misery into a ministry investment that fuels her that makes her weep and pound the table saying, where is their justice? Anywhere you say, where, where is the justice? God's looking at you and saying, yeah, you're the justice. You go out and take care of that thing that, that you're so passionate about. So that's got to be spirit-led where he puts passion in you. For us at Thrive, it's church planting. It's helping churches in Richmond. It's getting brand new churches started. Do you know the number one way to reach people with the gospel? is brand new churches because they reach people who are unchurched and people who are de-churched. And the most salvations and baptisms in America over the past 15 years come from brand new churches. So that's one of our ministry investments. We want to invest in church planting, starting churches. I met with a couple last week at our Richmond campus, starting a brand new church in the West End. And we're just, a, we're coming alongside of them, figuring out what they need, what, how we can serve them. I had a great conversation last week with them. But one thing that we do is we do something called the Accelerate Offering every year. And this Accelerate Offering means this, God has a vision for people coming to know. He wants people to come to know Christ. The most effective way we, that we know of in America and around the world is church planting. So guess what? you can accelerate God's vision because starting a church from nothing takes, takes resources. Last year, we had around 75 people give and we raised around $20,000. To be honest with you, we needed about 50. We got 20. I was very thankful because the, that 20,000 went to Connecticut to start a brand new church. And amen. And realize this, in that unchurched area, people are coming to know Jesus. People are serving in church for the first time ever. Um, there was two unchurched families that showed up and never been to a Christian church before and showed up and brought, they, they brought the, I mean, they came because they needed hope. And I talked to the pastor that we supported. Friends, and that's why we do that because we have a passionate Thrive Church. The gospel has changed our lives so much. We want it to change people's lives. And so you'll hear more about the Accelerate Offering and things like that. But where is it for you? What's God calling you to a generosity? And you can take a deep breath because next week we go into a Christmas series. You want to hear more about generosity. But I want the Lord to speak to your hearts. He's done so much for you. Jesus reached down and rescued you. He's blessed you so much. What's he calling you to do next in the area of generosity because of his generosity? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. God, I pray that what breaks our heart would break our alabaster jars in our life. Help us, Lord, to be able to have the courage to trust you that you will provide and have the courage, Lord, to leave a legacy one day, to leave a legacy of the gospel being permeated from our lives, Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask for you to do that in our lives. Help us, Lord. Show us the passions that we, we have and we, God, that we, it makes us weep and pound the table so we can be generous to the gospel. 
And as we're praying today, church, for those online, those in here uh, physically, Lord, I just pray that you'd stir hearts right now. As we're praying, guys, some of you have never given your life to Jesus. You, maybe you were quote-unquote raised in church. Maybe you had people who were preachers in your family, but you can never point to a time that you were transformed by the gospel, that you walked from darkness to light, that you gave your life to Christ and you surrendered your life to Him. If that's you this morning, or maybe you walked away from it, I want you to know that the invitation is, is here for you. I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And I give my life to him. Forgive me of my sins, God. I repent. I receive new life. I make Jesus my Lord. Thank you for rescuing me. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.